And hello good people of the internet, it is I, Tommy Kelly, and this is Adventures in Woo Woo. And in this episode, I want to talk to you about Hyper Sigils. So welcome to Pandemic Europe, where we have the coronavirus coming, attacking us from all angles. We also have a very windy day here in Ireland, and I'm nearly sure we had a bit of thunder, but it's hard to know because uh, I live in the or I work in a metal box essentially, and uh, everything strong wind can sound a bit like thunder. So if you hear some rumbles in the background, my apologies, and there's some good timing. I'm not sure how well that'll translate onto the microphone. Hopefully not too bad. So. Over the last while I've been talking a bit on the podcast and on these videos and on various social medias that I'm uh, going to be doing another comic, or I am doing another comic. Um, I've an awful lot of work done on it uh, in the sense of the, the prep work, the pre-production, so I've characters of the story for the most part worked out. I have the kind of art style in my head, what I want to do and uh, all of that kind of prep work going. But there's an element to it which I think some people will find interesting, more the kind of magic people than the art people. But there's such a crossover between art and magic that I assume I'm just talking to most of the same people. So um, it's, it's strange that when you kind of um, see a separation, you know, I'm doing an art video or a magic video or something like that, and that maybe is an unneeded kind of delineation in that, as Alan Moore says, art is magic, and uh, magic is art. And I recently reread or re-listened to the KLF book that John Higgs wrote, and it's definitely that whole thing of art is magic and magic is art is the whole kind of essence or backbone of that book, which is a wonderful book, and you should uh, all read it if you've any kind of interest in magic and uh, art. Not necessarily just KLF, because it's this kind of, they're irrelevant to it in many, many, many ways, even though it's a biography about them. But anyway, the bit that I want to talk about the new comic is the high idea of a hypersigil. Now, hypersigils, as far as I know, um, that term is created by Grant Morrison. And maybe not, but it's definitely synonymous with him, and he's the guy who kind of promoted it. And when people think of hypersigils, they think of Grant Morrison. And in particular, they think of the comic The Invisibles. And uh, what it means, or what his approach to it was, essentially doing a piece of art in order to affect change in his own life. So you'd write a piece of fiction uh, with certain characters that represent you or different people in order to put them into situations that you will hope will echo into your own life. Now, from a non-magical perspective, that sounds a bit ludicrous, but from an actual magic perspective, that's sound, that sound magic, that's great magic. And the thing is, it bloody works, and um, there's no question of it. You ask anyone, any writer who's um, magically inclined or not, and they will start talking about the characters having a life of their own and doing their own kind of things. So we already have, even in the most kind of material, mundane kind of sense of these things, a sense of fiction having its own volition or its own kind of, I don't know, sentience in, in some kind of way. And I'm always hesitant when I get talk about these type of things, particularly when I talk around things like servitors or forty servants like that, in the sense of that it's not as if, and this is the fear people have, that they're going to somehow become too sentient and take over your life and destroy your life. Because people worry about this because they hear about these stories about tulpas, which are thought forms, um, that um, wreck people's lives in a kind of poltergeist type way, or if you leave them around too long, they go bad or they go off, and there's all of these type of things, which I've talked about in a couple of places before, but so I won't labour the point here. But 
there's definitely seems to be that that, that a fiction or um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a fiction because we can widen hypersigil, but for the minute we just talk in terms of fiction, um, can have its own kind of autonomy in a way that it probably shouldn't. Um, given, the, you know, if you look at the world from a kind of materialist reduction, no woo kind of way, and you can you can see that um, when you say things like a hypersigil, when I can have a character in my comic or my book, uh, go through an experience that I want to go through in the hope that I get the experience. You can kind of say, well, that, I can understand this kind of sympathetic magic of it. Sympathetic magic is when you use one thing to represent something else. So like the typical example of a of a voodoo doll, which is like, it's a bad example because the, what we think of as voodoo doll is very Hollywood and not really voodoo's, voodoo at all. But that idea of sticking a pins into a cushion uh, that represents a person and they, they will f uh, feel the pain. So it's an equivalency, so it's the sympathetic magic. So the hypersigil as sympathetic magic, doing something to one area of the world in order to affect another part of the world. And I found this to be very true, even in a non-kind of hypersigil way, in a video I've talked about before, which will I put in the, um, the, the show description, where, where there's something that you're avoiding or not doing or need sorting in one area of your life seems to have knock-on effects and block other parts of your life. So I think this kind of thing is, it's kind of, it's all related anyway, there's like the magic is all kind of idea space, Alan Moore's idea space, where he talks about uh, that we are surrounded, or suppose like it's it's like an, an astral plane of ideas, and that's where ideas arrive from, say. Um, but he has also this kind of interesting thing that things can be joined and connected in nice in idea space that aren't connected in the, the material world. So say airports are a good one because they're, they're they're connected in our heads, but they're not connected in any kind of locations, and. Uh, you know, we can have different kind of connections through things like, say, films and um, TV shows have different connections because of the actors, but they're not connected by genre, by location where they're shot, by even by years or any of these things. So we can have all these kind of connections that are real and, you know, not imaginary, like in the sense they're a real kind of connection, but don't actually involve connections in the real world. So when you look at things like hypersigils and you try and see the connection between a piece of fiction and the real world, I think it's working on that kind of idea space, that astral plane, that kind of thing, if we were to buy into the idea. And I do buy into the idea because I once did a hypersigil and it was unbelievably successful. Problem with that hypersigil was that I didn't realize, it seemed that it was unsuccessful for a long while because I didn't realize that it, you know, it hadn't finished its um, journey or its magic or the ritual wasn't over. And that was a comic I did called Dem. And it was very much, it was designed as a hypersexual, like from, from day one, that I knew there was a, a particular ending that I wanted, which was to create a, a, a great piece of art. And that I was going to have to put the character through a certain kind of torment in the hope that he would have his uh, end result, uh, you know, that he would become a greater person by, and therefore worthy of the end result. I have a whole series on the blog that explains all of it in depth if you want to read it, the link will be in the show description. And I also made sure in the hyper sigil that the victory was assured because it opens with the victory and then goes back in time to how it got there. So there's no question of even if the characters did start gaining their own autonomy and the story wanted to go in a particular way, I had the safety net of the ending was already assured. Now in a sense, the, while the journey wasn't assured and the ending was, there's still the book or the comic itself goes past the end and into uh, its own kind of its own thing that I hadn't foreseen in a good positive way. So I suppose even with the kind of 
um, notion of putting in you know your your victory if you want there's still a chance that you know it's as we know with magic that it can still have its own little wily ways and, and get around you I was lucky in this kind of thing but what happened was that for a long while it seemed like it didn't work because it didn't work out you know there's no big magic or that there was no big success or there's no great piece of art it wasn't until I looked back after doing the 40 servants and the kind of magnificent success and out of the blue that was and how that had echoed uh, precisely the beats of the hyper sigil in the comic them um, it's undeniable to me and I will not be convinced otherwise to be <laughs> that that's just it um, it's too on the nose it's too exact and it's too perfect for it not to have been the case now all of these things might be predetermined and I've talked about that before as if I've, I've talked about most things I suppose at this point where if it is predetermined is the hyper sigil nearly nothing more than a kind of a view of the future and so you're not really changing the thing you're just looking at the future from a past point of view which is an interesting thing to think of that's if we believe in predeterminism which I'm not sure I do but I'm not sure I do because I don't like the idea rather than I think it's a, it's you know not the right thing that's going on so on a hyper sigil come back to Grant Morrison he talks about it in the sense of that he um you know, he had put himself in as the main character and he looks kind of like the main character. Or at least after um, King Mob, which is his character in The Invisibles, he started, Grant Morris himself started looking like King Mob, so it's hard to know. Alan Moore also had a couple of interesting uh, things where comics overlapped into his life, where he met John Constantine, which incidentally it is pronounced Constantine, not Constantine. Uh, so the comics tell us. And uh, Ian Vincent is always uh, <laughs> making sure that people know. Um, he met him in real life, one in an actual magical ritual, a proper thing, where he said that uh, the secret to magic is that any cunt could do it. Pardon my French. Um, not, you know, I've, there's a kind of a further implication and conversation I could have around that not every cunt can do it, but you could do it. That is the kind of a uh, the sense of it. But that was very real for him, and he, you know, he, he, he thinks Alan Moore thinks that that's an actual thing, you know, that happened a crossover. In as much as Alan Moore is sure about any of these things, I suppose. He also seen him one day in a cafeteria or restaurant of some kind of description, where he walked past, gave him a smile, and then walked in, round the corner, and disappeared, kind of thing. So I find that interesting, um, in that things seem to cross over from fiction. So anyway, the long and short of it is that I am putting a hyper sigil into the next comic. And um, it's by far the most grandiose magic I will uh, do. And it's going to be a long term because the comic, in the sense of what I want to do, it, it, it all going to plan, will be a long term comic. It's, it's a long, long story and it's very decompressed and happening over um, not a long period of time, but it, it, it's like it's not over a thousand years or anything like that, but it, it's like closer to real, not real time either. Anyway, you'll, you'll know when, when we get there. But think of it more like a manga kind of thing in the sense of the episodic way that they do it, that the, their comics are really long. Like something like Goodnight Pon Pon, which is like seven volumes long in, in the omnibus thing. So it's like 3,000, 4,000 pages set over six years, all of this type of thing. So it's that more than Dark Knight Returns, year one or something like that. Think Cerebus if you want to think kind of Western comics, you know, where you have the the 300 issues, the 30 years to do it, all this kind of thing. I'm not thinking 30 years, I'll have, you know, um, so anyway, it's while now at the minute I am in a very rational, non-magic place for the most part because I'm going through an awful lot with the therapy and shadow work and trying to sort my brain out 
Um, I have to be in a rational place. I kind of can't have allow too much magical thinking in the sense of I'm trying to approach this from a logical point of view. So it's a very much a paradigm shift and I'm aware I'm doing it. But what has happened is that I've essentially disenchanted my world a bit. So part of the hypersigilness of going into this comic is the re-enchantment of the world, which I think is a lovely, wonderful way of looking at things. Oh, that's what magic is, which I, I, I think comes from Gordon White. He certainly says it an awful lot, but I'm not sure if it originates with him. But there's an awful lot more going on, and it's an awful lot more kind of make, making a stamp on my world and making a mark and kind of counting myself in and demanding, in a sense, rather than pleading. Uh, for certain uh, revelations or things to happen whereas there is a kind of thing in magic and I definitely assume I'm getting from many things from culture from upbringing but from like the Catholic uh, background I have which is all about kind of looking you know to saints to interject with you to God you know but like it's it's kind of up to them whether to do it or not because you're kind of pleading with them and please you know please God uh, if it's for my highest good will you know allow this or you know like totally just giving your power away. Now, it works for a lot of people and it has worked for me in many cases too, so um, don't dismiss the idea, but I think this high, whole idea of authority in magic um, is something that I'm definitely putting my stamp on. And Robbie talked about it in one of the uh, the Magic People podcasts where he's saying that his kind of thing is that, you know, the magic involves, like, there's some posturing is going to be needed at some point. And this is my posturing kind of movement um, where I'm, going from one stage of my evolution as a, as a wizard into the next stage in a very um, the word in a very direct and a very um, concrete and um, deliberate manner um, with forcing not forcing yeah with forcing my kind of my will on the world and in a sense going to include all of you all who read it whether you want to or not, that's, that is the uh, that is my agenda, and I'll, I'll be upfront with it very early on. Uh, what the participation level is. So hyper sigils, how would you do them in your own thing? Well, I mean, we don't have to limit them to comics, even though that's is kind of the origin of it. I assume going by my kind of understanding of it all. Gordon White, who I've spoke about uh, a number of times. Um, in this video, I mean, like we all know who he is. Of Rune Soup, would consider his Rune Soup his hyper sigil. So that's like that's a blog that turned into a podcast, that his videos, that his courses, that his premium members, and it looks like a product in many ways, um, as does a comic and as does a book. And uh, he, you know, that's his hyper sigil. That's things he's doing, in a sense, to affect his own life. And obviously, absolutely has. He's gone from advertising, um, you know, as a kind of nine to five job, to a farm, and uh, you know, making being a teacher online you know all through runeship this kind of hyper sigil that went along that kind of way you can have it as a painting you could have it as a dance you could have it as anything you want and you see it's at this point that the kind of definition of hyper sigil kind of loses a bit of its thing because when is it a hyper sigil and when is it sympathetic magic when is it just a sigil when is it just intent when is it just you know, um, an art piece that, you know, you're trying to uh, affect change in the world in a kind of direct way by art, by being, pr you know, um, by, like it kind of be shocking, I suppose, you know, doing something quite shocking in the hope that this kind of shock of, the, of this art and this uh, provocativeness 
um, is going to change the world. And that, like that in itself is magic too, but mightn't be seen as magic and mightn't be seen in a kind of magical sense by the artist. So there's a lot going on. So the only thing I think that would make it a hyper sigil is that for me, and this is me alone, is that it would have to, in a, in a sense, uh, include some sort of creativity that has to be a sympathetic thing to it, meaning that one thing has to re represent another thing. And there has to be deliberate intention of this is what you were trying to do. That it's more than just writing the story, it's that you're making it a hyper sigil too. Um, but we can then go into things like advanced magic for beginners where Alan Chapman talks about, you know, like, you know, do something, decide it means this, do the thing, and then, you know, result in the sense of that um, you could make a magical hyper sigil out of eating a hamburger if you want. And I think, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I, I, this idea of sympathetic magic is something that we have, you know, always around us, particularly, in the, you know, in the magic thought, but even in just kind of human thought. So anyway, I would suggest that you have as little amount of rules around these things as you possibly can and just go with once you have the intention of what you're doing. And of course, if you do something and nothing happens, maybe like me, wait a bit longer, see if it works out. Um, but also, as with all magic, try it, see if it works. If it works, do more of it. If it doesn't, augment it, change it or drop it. And then, you know, until you find a way that works for you, because it's chaos magic, it's subjective. It's what works for you. And uh, that's my definite opinion on the, the whole magic thing is that it's about the operator themselves, it's the wizard and uh, all that flows from that. So that's kind of my thoughts around hyper sigils, where they kind of came from, which is Grant Morrison. If you want to know a bit more about that, check out The Invisibles, check out his Disinfo lecture, check out Talking With Gods, which is a documentary about him. There's a great podcast, I'll put all these links in um, the show description, about him recently talking about magic, which is wonderful. Check out that KLF book. Um, and uh, myself and uh, Spud will be talking about that on an upcoming podcast, so you can perhaps save 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 that for another rainy day. And uh, yeah, and then your own kind of hyper sigils, just do them. And uh, if it seems like sympathetic magic is something that you're interested in, then it's a really great way of getting into it because it also, you know, it has your creativity behind it. It gets you doing art, it gets you making things, it gets you out there and it gives you a bit of a, a sense of control over both your art, over your life and over creation in, uh, in its totality. So, good people of the internet, until our next adventure, be well.